Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. This is a Circular Economy show podcast produced by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where we develop and promote the idea of a circular economy, engage key actors to make it happen, and mobilize system solutions at scale. My name is Rob Humes, and I'm part of the learning team here at the Foundation. And I will be your host for this episode as we deep dive into the three strategic partner cities of the Foundation. We'll be hearing from Marta Suplicy, the Municipal Secretary of International Affairs at Sao Paulo City Hall, Wayne Hubbard, the CEO of ReLondon, and Bridget Anderson, the Deputy Commissioner of Recycling and Sustainability at New York City Department of Sanitation. Before we get started, a quick reminder that this is an extract taken from a longer conversation as part of the Circular Economy Show programme. If you'd like to watch the whole show, you can find the link in the description. In this podcast, we will explore the role that cities play in the transition to a circular economy. What benefits can cities receive by transitioning to a circular economy? Are there enablers available to cities to help them make this transition? And what are the cities planning to do to accelerate their efforts? To help provide answers to these questions like these, I am joined by the Foundation's Cities Lead, Sarah O'Carroll. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Rob. So, starting off, Sarah, cities are important in the transition towards a circular economy because they can effectively tackle the challenges of the existing linear system. But could you outline what some of the opportunities are for cities implementing the circular economy? Why should they be thinking about this and what could they gain? Thanks, Rob. Great question. I'll start with why cities should and are implementing the circular economy, and then I'll tackle your question about opportunities. So our urban centres have to deal with the main challenges of our existing take-make-waste economy. Cities consume over 75% of the world's natural resources, generate 50% of the world's solid waste, and emit 80% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. And if you consider that two-thirds of us will live in cities by 2050, those challenges and the associated environmental, economic and social costs will only increase over time. So city governments have a key role to play in building thriving, livable and resilient cities where waste and pollution have been designed out of products and urban systems, materials are kept in use and maintain their value and where natural systems in and around cities are regenerated. By embedding circular economy principles into urban policy levers and city policies, cities can bring about, firstly, changes to the use and management of materials in cities, and secondly, at the same time, also deliver on urban priorities around access to housing, mobility, and economic development in a way that supports prosperity, jobs, health, and communities. And then coming to your second question about opportunities, I would say that the opportunities in cities really are endless. In research that we published in 2019, we looked at opportunities across three urban systems, buildings, products, and mobilities. These are also urban systems that are mayoral priorities. And we specifically looked at opportunities across five phases of operations or of the lifetime of these urban systems. So we looked at opportunities in planning, designing, making, accessing, and operating and maintaining. And we found opportunities across each of these five phases for all three of these urban systems. And there are lots of examples on the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's website um, that can be explored if that's what people are interested in. I'm sure they are, Sarah. And so to echo what you said there, 
there are endless opportunities available to cities as a result of transitioning to the circular economy. Could you give an overview of some of the tools or levers that city governments can use to accelerate this transition? Sure, Rob. So there are five categories of policy levers that we've identified that city governments can use. So where city governments can integrate circular economy principles into these five categories of urban policy levers to accelerate the transition at the city level. And those five categories are vision, engagement, urban management, economic incentives, and legislation and regulation. So if we unpack each of those categories just a little bit and give a flavor of them. Firstly, vision. So this is usually the first thing that cities think about. Um, They think about developing a strategy or a roadmap for the circular economy. And this is a very natural place to start and is really helpful because it creates a strong narrative on the circular economy in that city. It can help to coordinate existing initiatives, create a focus um, on a specific set of priorities and provide direction for internal and external city stakeholders on what the focus should be. But really the important thing is that the circular economy is embedded into city policy. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a circular economy roadmap like the city of London, Amsterdam or Charlotte has. It could also look like embedding circular economy into a resilience strategy like Milan has done or into a climate strategy like Lisbon or Sao Paulo have done. So really it's about embedding the circular economy into these vision documents, vision policies. Um, The second category is engagement. So governments have this unique ability to engage stakeholders across the city, very diverse stakeholders, multiple groups of stakeholders from across sectors to catalyze action. And this really is key to the emergence of circular economy opportunities in the city because it requires understanding, collaboration um, and action in within and between sectors to really kind of accelerate the transition and to, to build momentum. And so convening and partnering, awareness raising and capacity building are great levers to engage diverse stakeholders in the city. So third category that I spoke about is urban management. And this is critical because, and and really, really helpful because city governments have a strong influence over the physical development of a city. So how the city is planned, the management of its assets. So that's things like vehicle fleets um, or the buildings that they own and operate, land that they own as well and how that's used, as well as the procurement of public goods and services. So I guess you can see there how these urban management levers um, can be pretty powerful in helping to transform a market. Um, And then the last two categories, economic incentives and regulation and legislation, I think are probably the more top of mind policy levers when we talk about city governments. Economic incentives are probably one of the most common that come to mind because we know and and we talk about financial support that cities often give to SME uh, or business transformation programs um, that help to foster innovation and new markets um, and fiscal measures as well, like taxes or uh, penalties and charges on on specific things, which incentivize or discourage certain behaviours. So a a common one for that would be something like a single-use plastic ban. Um, But you can also think of that as uh, 
fiscal incentives that can support the reuse or repair of activities within a city as well. Um, and then that last one that is very, very common, regulation and legislation. We know this is a core domain of government, and usually we think of this as something that a national government does. But actually, in the research that we've done, we've realized that there are, or that, that municipal governments, local governments, and city governments have... Um, quite a strong influence here because they're able to also implement bylaws specifically at the city level that can stimulate circular economy practices um, and shape markets and influence behavior. So those are the five in a nutshell. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. So there's five key areas for action, and I'm sure we'll be drawing upon engagement throughout this episode as well. And um, drawing back to the live episode of the Circular Economy Show, we heard from Mariana Mazzucato about the need for place-based budgets and outcome-orientated budgets and how these could help cities reach their goals. Could you expand on what these are and give us an idea on where cities would be applying these budgets to help them transition to the circular economy? Yeah, sure. So place-based budgets are incredibly helpful because they really make sure that the money is spent where it's needed, where action is needed and where, where the change needs to happen. Um, and so there's so many ways that, that city governments can use place-based budgets to accelerate the circular economy transition. I could name hundreds, but I'll just focus on three. Um, firstly, city governments, um, as I alluded to earlier, could apply these budgets to urban planning. Integrating circular economy principles into urban planning can transform our cities so that they're fit for the 21st century. An example might be mobility. So we've heard a lot about the 15-minute city recently, particularly um, through the COVID pandemic. But Mobility can also be really powerful when you start to think about reverse logistics and how that's needed to be able to enable the repair, reuse and sharing of products um, within a city. You could also think of if we if we talk about the industrial sector, we could talk about utilities and the sharing of heat and water. Um, and that can only be done or the easiest way it, it can be done if uh, utility sharing is built into the way that new industrial developments um, or industrial areas are designed. And then also buildings would be something else. So the way uh, we we plan and, and construct buildings will have a significant impact on um, on the future. And so can we put in, in place or, or city governments can put in place bylaws which kind of force new developments to think about these buildings being flexible and adaptable to use and also um, so that the building materials could be reused um, if that, that building were to be um, demolished or, or repurposed in some way. Um, a second example would be business transformation programs, um, which is also something fairly common. We see that London um, and Brussels are, are doing this as well. Cleveland has a program centered around community grants, so really kind of supporting businesses at the neighborhood level to transform um, so that they are embedding circular economy principles into their business models. And then something else that's that's really common that cities spend a lot of money on is awareness raising campaigns. So, I mean, typically we've seen a lot of this in the recycling world, but can be really, really powerful in the circular economy space as well to showcase to citizens, repair, reuse, um, 
and, and sharing activities. And so Paris Good Fashion is a good example of this, just like the Wear Next campaign that we delivered in partnership with New York City agencies and fashion um, indus- fashion industry players in the city. But also um, Gothenburg Smart Map is another good, good example of that. So th- those are just three examples of how place-based budgets um, could be leveraged to accelerate the transition. Okay, great overview there, Sarah. Thank you for that. Now let's hear from the cities themselves on what their vision of a circular economy looks like. We'll start with Marta Suplicy, the Municipal Secretary of International Affairs at the Sao Paulo City Hall. A circular city is an inclusive, sustainable, efficient, smart and creative city. It's a place where children and young people have interjected a new way of living and have developed habits based on circular economy values. There is a sense of harmony in its prosperity in a way that's not harmful to nature and is committed to fighting inequalities and social vulnerability. A circular city is a city that values people's vocations and fosters diversity and innovation together with the planet's regeneration. That was Marta Suplicy. Let's move on to hear from Wayne Hubbard, the CEO at ReLondon. For us at ReLondon, we're very interested in promoting a partnership between uh, business, civil society and government. Um, and I think um, the, the, the role that we can play is to support small and medium-sized businesses in London. There's a really innovative, uh, um, uh, uh, creative, dynamic um, uh, SME and startup community in London and partnering those with uh, civil society and with local government is a really good way of bringing circular economy together at the high street and in the neighbourhood and I very much echo uh, Mariana about place-based solutions um, and it's a really good way to recover from the economic um, problems that uh, COVID has brought and kind of bringing together everything to to um, uh, to make our economy kind of 21st century proof and develop the skills um, and the jobs needed f- for that for that recovery effort so so for me and certainly uh, I think for the for the the, the city hall uh, regional government and local government circular economy is central to that journey and finally, what does Bridget Anderson, the Deputy Commissioner of Recycling and Sustainability at New York City Department of Sanitation, think? This is a an important um, topic and an important terminology. And it's, it's, you know, we've been thinking about circular economy, but not using that term and not bringing it together. And that's one of the benefits of Ellen MacArthur Foundation is that you've, you've really put it together in a way that allows us to think holistically and comprehensively. New York City has a one NYC plan, a strategic plan for resiliency, equity, sustainability. And similar to London, similar to Sao Paulo, um, equity is is central to that. And it's, it's really about innovating, building back better. COVID has hit each of our cities, each of our countries so hard. And uh, we need to innovate our way to a better, a better reality. And we have historical ways that we've done that. And we're very excited to be uh, trying to partner. It's not just government. It's not just business. Uh, it's not just residents. You know, we all have to be part of the solution. 
So we've heard from three separate cities on what a circular city looks like to them. Each city provided a different take on their vision, however there were crossovers. Sarah, when you were talking about the five key areas for cities and transitioning to the circular economy, you mentioned engagement as one of the key areas. Could you explain the importance of collaboration in this process and how cities can learn from one another in their transition to a circular economy? That's another great question, Rob. And here, when we're talking about engagement, we're really talking about those two policy levers of partnering and convening. So convening cities together to learn and to share with one another and partnering cities partnering with one another to accelerate their transition to a circular economy. And this is really crucial because cities are at different points in their journey to a circular economy. Some cities are just starting out and other cities are much, much further along and no one wants to reinvent the wheel here. So it's useful for cities to collaborate and partner together um, so that they can learn from challenges that they've overcome and to also replicate successful initiatives. Awesome. Thank you for that, Sarah. Let's explore these circular economy journeys, starting with a deep dive into New York City to hear from Bridget Anderson about how the circular economy is playing a vital role in helping New York City achieve their goals. So we have, as I mentioned, a one NYC strategic plan for equity, resilience and sustainability. And as we've been looking at how to achieve that, it's, you know, I come from the Department of Sanitation and while waste management is a critical indicator and mirror to, you know, linear practices as opposed to circular practices, we aren't the only entity that can solve for this. And so while traditionally we have what we feel very proud of, which are some city government contracts that create a circular economy for our paper recycling, 75% of our paper is recycled locally, goes to a local paper plant, gets turned into new boxes, you know, for for your next uh, delivery. Um, we feel very proud of that. That's only one aspect of truly creating a circular approach uh, because we have to tackle the consumption patterns and we, we know that it can't fully be achieved on a city taxpayer levy. You know, city government, we use taxpayer dollars to, to achieve what we're doing and we need the business sector to really be innovating and, and pushing the envelope. And it's not easy. We, we know that it's going to be a, a painful switch. We think ultimately a very successful switch, uh, but changing standard practice is, is not easy. So how can government leverage regulation, leverage incentives, um, as well as actually doing the work of having holding our own contracts? Circular economy is very much in place in New York City. What challenges and opportunities are they finding? Well, I have to say, in I believe it was 2018, I heard the CEO of, of Freshfield speak um, at a circular economy panel, and he was saying, I'm in, I'm in. Like, this is not, I'm not fighting this. I think there's a business opportunity here. And that was so refreshing to hear that it, it was not necessarily going to be a fight. You know, it's not going to be easy, but there's really a sense that uh, private sector is in, they see the business opportunity, government is in, we're trying to figure out how do we best enable uh, what needs to happen. I think post-COVID, as we talked about building back better, this is a real opportunity, I think, outside the box. And um, the, the Where Next campaign is an example where uh, we already had relationships through our Donate NYC program with the charitable reuse sector to take in um, uh, secondhand clothing, but we wanted to take it to another level. So how do we involve the private sector as well as the nonprofit sector? Um, where's the business opportunity there to ensure that we're we're getting best uh, use out of the clothing that's collected? Because we know not all of it will find a resale market. 
Uh, and so being able to amplify that message, we have a map with over a thousand locations now where people can uh, drop off their gently used clothing. And that 200,000 tons of material, uh, of textile material that gets thrown away, you know, we're hoping to make a dent in that. And next year we have our next waste characterization study we'll, where we'll be able to measure and see the impacts. So we're very excited about finding ways to, um, these are, this is no cost effort for New York City. So that's incredible because we're able to, while we have our large scale contracts, a lot of taxpayer money, we're also able to create real opportunities for New Yorkers uh, that doesn't necessarily take city taxpayer dollar. Bridget mentioned both the public and the private sector there. Sarah, please could you tell us more about the role of different players in the city system and what is the necessity of a multi-stakeholder approach? Oh, so many great questions, Rob. So we at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation recognise that no one actor can change the system alone and that's why collaboration across a very diverse multi-stakeholder group is critical to changing the system and accelerating the circular economy transition in cities. And I'll just focus on three actors, governments, business, and higher education, and the role that they play in transforming the system. So governments can be enablers and leaders in their respective areas. And we've spoken a lot about this from the city government perspective earlier in, in this episode, but it's also really relevant to other levels of government. So other le levels of government can equally establish circular economy roadmaps and strategies, invest in circular public procurement and urban management, and review the legislative framework to unlock regulatory barriers. But as I said, to transform the system, multiple stakeholders need to be engaged. And businesses have a key role to play here, a key leadership role, in fact, to play here, building collaboration across supply chains, between sectors and with different levels of government. And then higher education institutions as well. So higher education institutions have a crucial role to play through teaching, applied research, and supporting student-led initiatives and campus management. They're fundamental in terms of playing this critical role in providing the research, development, and innovation that we need to find scalable and replicable solutions that deliver systemic change. Brilliant answer. Thank you for that again, Sarah. Now let's hear from Wayne at ReLondon on the work that they are doing to push forward the circular economy in London's wider recovery missions. We're uh, at ReLondon embedded in the Green New Deal aspect of it, but we're also interested in um, good work, high streets, digital access, healthy food, young people. You know, you can imagine quite easily how the... Um, how, how mitigating the effects and tackling climate change through addressing consumption and using circular economy can hit all of those things in terms of redistribution, good messages about um, food. Um, <clears throat> but like I say, we're involved in the Green New Deal specifically, and I'm involved in the uh, Green New Deal uh, expert advisory uh, group. And the Mayor of London has given... Uh, re-London uh, some funding to uh, help and support uh, SMEs, um, specifically 
um, it, 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 startups and small and small companies uh, s- sort of with with emergency funding to get them through uh, the immediate uh, period of uh, of COVID and the effects, but also to start to develop pilot schemes and pilot projects um, to, uh, to to develop a circular economy and uh, and and start to develop new uh, experimental business models. So we're, at the moment, we're running a pilot grant scheme, and we've got an open call out for for all SMEs who are interested in developing circular economy pilot schemes. And by that, by the way, we mean anything that uses recycling as an input or that makes anything recyclable, any business model to do with sharing any business model to do with um, design for durability and any business model to do with um, uh, product as a service, servitization or leasing. So we're interested in all of that uh, at, at its very broadest and we're particularly keen on uh, promoting um, entrepreneurs, uh, f- female entrepreneurs or uh, entrepreneurs from black, Asian and minority ethnic communities and also in the areas where COVID is um, hit London hardest, particularly in the hospitality sectors. Now let's turn to Sao Paulo with Marta Suplicy on what makes Sao Paulo unique and how the circular economy can help the city achieve its priorities. Okay, Sao Paulo is a dynamic, nervous and cosmopolitan city, which is rich in line with the diversity of our people. This diversity makes us the beating heart of business and culture in our country. And so we are also continuously searching for and open to innovative solutions and the reinvention of processes. Last year, we joined 50 global leaders and signed a statement in support of a circular economic response to the impacts of COVID-19 pandemic. Besides becoming a signatory of the Foundation's joint statement, Mayor Bruno Covers also made a second joint commitment promoted by C40, recognizing that back to business as usual is no longer possible. We want to honor his legacy by adopting concrete measures, building a transition to a more sustainable model, more resilient and equitable future. The city of Sao Paulo is elaborating its first economic development plan, which will bring among its guidelines initiatives towards the recovery from COVID-19 with the perspective of sustainability, valuing the economic vocations of each region in the city. The plan is aligned with the Climate Action Plan just launched last month, reinforcing our commitment to a zero carbon and circular economy across all areas of the municipality. In addition, last month, we took an important step towards localizing the sustainable development goals in the city of Sao Paulo. The 2030 municipal agenda has sustainable goals, sustainable targets adapted to Sao Paulo's reality produced as a result of a multi-stakeholder dialogue, including civil society and total transparency. This novel document seeks to guide the planning, the budgeting and management of municipal instruments until 2030, bringing sustainable development as a benchmark for Sao Paulo's municipal policies. The agenda 
we ensure concrete measures that go beyond any one political term by supporting the necessary transition to a more sustainable, low-carbon, inclusive and healthy economy for people and the planet. Those were some interesting deep dives into the present realities for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's three strategic partner cities. What will the future look like for these cities? And how do the city governments plan to promote the circular economy as part of their plans to achieve their goals? Bridgette Anderson from New York talks us through their plans. We're in a transition right now. We, we are in the middle of a mayoral race. And ultimately, the next leadership is going to be key to set our direction for the next 10 years. We are also, as we've been talking about cities uh, not holding all of the regulatory authority, uh, we are in the middle of starting to plan our next 20-year solid waste management plan, which is a requirement of the state. So we really see the next year as a critical moment to set our direction um, with new leadership who's going to be around to have to... uh, Um, make good uh, on some of those commitments. And the Economic Development Corporation in the city, who can provide some preferential financing, maybe we can leverage, uh, you know, changes to demand and infrastructure and building the built environment. We're trying to figure out all the ways that we can leverage the assets within New York City, uh, both in the private sector and through city government, to figure out how to, you know, on the ground in concrete ways, um, demonstrate how this can work. And so that's pilots. You know, cities can be, you know, one of the best ways to create a pilot that then, if it works, that can get national recognition and maybe um, start to leverage the national government to to help support it. What does the future for the circular economy look like in London? Wayne Hubbard lets us know. I think th- thinking about what a 21st century economy looks like, you know, it's got to be an economy that reduces uh, consumption. A consumption, especially of uh, of virgin stuff. So you know, we've we've got to start looking at our relationship with stuff at Real London. You know, we have this um, this byline revolutionising our relationship with stuff. So you know, thinking about that relationship with stuff is central, and that really um, talks to redistribution. Um, you know, digital access for all about redistributing laptops and um, uh, and computers, food redistribution, furniture redistribution. So all of that is, is pretty central um, to, to the circular economy. So it cuts through a lot of those missions. Um, and, uh, uh, and also, you know, the point about resilience, um, a 21st century economy needs to have shorter supply chains. Um, you know, we're bringing stuff uh, back into uh, into shorter cycles, shorter supply chains, mining our local resources as much as possible, making them as useful as possible. And that requires a whole different set of skills. That requires digital skills, uh, as well as kind of traditional repair and design skills. So there's a really bright, interesting Um, and exciting future that the circular economy promises. And it goes hand in glove with the recovery. And that's why I think we're a a kind of um, industry whose time has come. You know, this this time is now. And I I find it particularly interesting applying circular economy systems and thought and practice to, to, to place to locality, to the high street and its environs. So I certainly 
um, I certainly subscribe to that and I'm very sympathetic to that. Um, you know, Mariana was talking about making it place-based and that does require, I think, national governments who typically move at a slower pace to, um, to allow cities the space, the money, the, the 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 flexibility to start delivering this stuff on the ground at pace, because and at scale, because we can do given uh, given the tools to allow us to do that. I think these different perspectives on the circular economy in these three strategic partner cities is really, really interesting because I think it reflects on points that we spoke about earlier about the context for different cities and different regions around the world being so different. And because of that, their starting point in their journey is different and their focus areas. And I think we've heard a lot about that in the deep dives into the, the circular economy journey in the three cities that we've spoken about today was really interesting superb takeaways thank you for that sarah and thank you for being a guest on this podcast i've really enjoyed this one if this podcast has caught your interest and you'd like to find out more you can visit the ellen MacArthur foundation's website you can also find the strategic partner city pages linked in this podcast episode description we have plenty more content in video and audio, so please subscribe to our podcast and, of course, like, rate and share all the content if you enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe. <laughs>